welcome to Board Game Famous, the board game podcast that chronicles two brothers and sometimes some friends as they journey to board game fame. I'm your host, Michael, and I'm joined with Jesse. Hey, y'all. We thought David was going to be recording with us, but, you know. Life happens. Life happens. (laughs) Just not quite ready to come back. But we'll start as always. Hey, Jesse, what you been playing? Well, the first game I want to talk about is a game that you and I played together. It's one that I kickstarted and have been waiting on, and it finally arrived just last week, and it is Hand-to-Hand Wombat. You heard me right. That's Hand-to-Hand Wombat, like the cute little furry creatures that are actually super vicious. I know nothing about wombats, so I'll believe you. (laughs) I don't either, so I'm going to pretend I do. Um, (laughs) Hand-to-Hand Wombat is a 2022 game made by Matthew Inman, Elon Lee, and Corey O'Brien, and it's published by Exploding Kittens, and it is billed as a game of teamwork, towers, and troublemakers. You might know these people behind Oatmeal. That's right. And for those of you who are familiar with the online comic and whole site and all of that that they have going on. They had one of the most successful Kickstarters with Exploding Kittens years ago. They have a whole board game franchise. Now, Yeah, now they have a whole board game franchise. Some of which are better than others. Some of which Poetry are Poetry for Neanderthals. <laughs> yeah, uh, I personally am not a biggest fan of Exploding Kittens, but tell us about Hand to Hand Wombat. I did play with you, but you can go ahead and tell everybody. So Hand to Hand Wombat, I would describe as a social deduction plus dexterity game, which is a weird combo. We enjoy starting our game nights with light, silly, social deduction type games, and this definitely fits the bill. It is a game where you are trying cooperatively to build three towers. Like, you know those little baby block towers that are like pyramids of rings. You're trying to build those, essentially. Biggest ring on the bottom, smallest ring on the top. Yeah, six rings in all, except they're squares. But what's the catch on building these towers? So there, you have to be blind doing this, so... Um, Blindfolded. The, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not actually blind. Sorry, my bad. Um, please don't poke your eyes out to play this game. <laughs> If you get the deluxe edition, it comes with little wombat eye covers? Uh, <laughs> blindfolds. Blindfolds. Words are hard. Blindfolds. Uh, so you have to blindly build these towers, but one person is playing the role of the bad wombat who is trying to secretly destroy the towers. So you have a minute and a half to build the towers with your team and to keep the blind the bad wombat from destroying them. Yes, or just generally thwarting. And I think the nice thing about this is it uses the box in a smart way because these towers, the base, all three bases, because there's three towers you're trying to build, all three bases and all the blocks are contained in the lid, which is upturned in the center of the table. So it's not like you can grab it and run off with it. Everything will be contained. So everybody has one hand in the box. And one hand over their eyes while they're playing this. Uh, The components are really nice. The blocks have different, like, number of dots on them, like raised bumps. So you can tell, like, oh, there are six bumps on this. This is a bottom base brick. 
So the first time we played, there were four of us playing, and we found it really difficult. I thought I was being, like, a complete pro. Like, I was like, <laughs> oh, I have this tower perfect. Like, I have the six, I have the five. Michael and I were working together, like, building the tower. I was like, oh, it's perfect. And then, like, time ran out, and we revealed, and all of the towers were complete garbage. <laughs> Like, none of them was correct. So, we were playing in the back of the bar. So, this bar has, like, a back area with several bigger long tables. And while there were several people up front, we were the only people in the back. And as we were unpacking this box, a couple of patrons from the front saw it, Googled it, and came back to us. as like, we just gotta watch this. <laughs> oh. And they gave us a play-by-play -play of what happened after we finished and voted out the wombat and everything. Uh, turns out Michael is a very bad wombat. I am. I am a bad wombat. The best part was I got voted out, and then it was all good wombats who had to successfully build the towers, and they still failed. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It's much harder than it sounds. Yeah. Like, I thought it was going to be easy. Like, I thought, okay, we can do this, no problem. No, it is very difficult. And communication is hard. Very hard. <laughs> I thought I was being really loud, and people were like, you weren't talking at all. Yeah, shout out to Shannon and, and Bailey. Shannon and Bailey, who joined us. Yeah, we played one game with a couple of guys from our meetup group, and then these girls, Shannon and Bailey, who had been watching us, said, hey, can we play this next game with you? Um, and so they jumped in with us, and so the six of us played with five good wombats and one bad wombat, which again was Michael, and was. this time the good wombats won. It's true. It's true. It was satisfying. It's not the kind of game you want to play all the time, but it was definitely, like, a fun game to try. I will bring it back every now and again. Um, like, I'm glad to add it to my collection. So, at our friend's new house... I think it was our first board gaming day since they moved into their new place. It's very nice. Shout out to them. You know who you are. And we played Clank with the 2020 expansion Adventuring Party. Uh, so Clank is designed by Evan Lawrence and has a multitude of artists. We have been on record of saying that Clank is not our favorite game. But I think this expansion changes the way that I feel about Clank. Now, Clank is a deck-building, press-your-luck dungeon crawler where you are de uh, diving deeper and deeper into this dungeon, trying not to piss off the dragon and get the most valuable treasure that you can and get out alive. And I think, I think it was a very good game whenever it came out, and I still think it's a decent game. It's not my favorite. I didn't give it the gold star. I really enjoyed... The legacy game that they came out with, Acquisitions Incorporated. But this expansion is built more for replayability. And one thing it does is add two more players. So the base game is one to four players. So you can play to five to six. And each player now has the opportunity to have a unique starting deck and a unique player ability. That's Wait. probably why it feels a little bit more like Acquisitions Incorporated, because it has that eff that right-away effect of giving you some asymmetry. Mm-hmm. The, the asymmetry and the ability to approach things differently. Um, what was your character like? My character, I think, was actually the weakest of them all. Uh, they are companion-focused. They had the ability of whenever you acquire 
uh, a companion card in the trade row instead of adding it to your discard like you do normally and like you do in most deck building games, you have the ability of putting it on the top of your deck, which means you get to draw it immediately. And I didn't really use that because I thought it was going to be a lot more powerful late in the game. But I only ended up buying one companion late in the game. But it, it was nice. It was very in handy. Um, but I, I liked... Uh, it gives you something to focus on in the trade road to combo and all that kind of stuff. I really liked my character. I played as D'Allen. 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 I was kind of a smarmy rogue kind of character with a charming grin. I was also green. I'm always green. Um... He focused on having different kinds of finds and had cards that would trigger in reaction to other people finding stuff I didn't have already, which that was a neat mechanic. The more I found, the better my powers became, but the more I found, the less often they would trigger. So that was an interesting balance. Um, some of our f friends played as Whiskers the Cat. Which is originally a card in the base game? Ah, uh, was it? I'd I have no probably idea. Probably so. So Whiskers the Cat, which had a mechanic of it could play and run and hiss and cause the dragon to draw and avoid drawing their cubes. Correct. Correct. Um, we had someone play as a barbarian type character who was just like constantly smashing all the monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was Chelsea's character? A uh, wizardy kind yeah, of character. Yeah, had mana for using. Yeah, so we had a, a wizard-type character who had mana that could manipulate card draws and things like that. And I found this I found this expansion something that I don't think I would want to play Clank without with uh, in the future. I, I like Clank a lot more than I did whenever I first played it, and I think the main reason is because I've learned to take more risk with it. In Clank, you don't succeed very well if you aren't willing to go deep into the dungeon and yes you might die but it's better than coming out with only five points yeah i agreed but I, I still think i still think adding this on is a must for me in the future so absolutely so one other game i got to play this week was elysium uh it is a uh it is a 2015 game by matthew durstam and brett j gilbert and it's published by space cowboys and it's tagged as create mighty combinations, write epic legends, and earn the favor of the gods. Have you played this one, Michael? No. I. It has been on my shelf of shame for about six years, and recently one of my friends suggested we play it, and so I was very happy to pull that off the shelf, dust it off a little bit, and actually get it to the table. I remember learning it some years ago and just never getting to actually play it. I wasn't well, going to say anything about the fact that I've seen it on your shelf for I a while. I feel so judged. <laughs> And it hasn't been moved in Why years. Why are you so mean to me? <laughs> look, man. Look. I have a couple games that haven't been played, okay? It's now not you an addiction. It's just a... A hobby. It's, it's a, a hobby. hobby. It's a hobby. I'm All a collector. Right. Sure. And so, a yeah. board gamer. Yes. Absolute. For sure. Um, so at the start of the game, you choose five of eight god decks to play with. So... We played with the recommended beginner set of Athena, Poseidon, Zeus, Hades, and Hephaestus. Um, there are three other gods who you can add in later and switch out. Um, you always play with a total of five decks of gods. Um, they all get shuffled into one big deck, and that is kind of the draw deck from which you draw. The game is played over five epics, and you in each epic you draft three cards and one quest. 
Um, your resource for drafting are four columns. Everyone has a red, a yellow, a green, and a blue column. And each time you draft something, you have to have the corresponding colors that are required. So for instance, one card might require you to have both your green and your blue column. Okay. As soon as you draft that card, you have to give away one of your columns like it's discarded. Mm. It doesn't necessarily need to be one of the ones that's pictured on the card. You just have to give one of them away. So as the round progresses, you have less and less options. Fewer and fewer options. I can grammar. Um, I hope so. <laughs> so <laughs> each of the cards that you're drafting has a level... And a family, so they're levels one through three, and then the family is which of the gods they represent, and each card has unique effects, so some of them you might take and instantly get two VPs if it's a Zeus card, or you might get a benefit to you and also to the other people at the table if it's an Athena card. Poseidon cards tend to be attack cards, and they aren't nice. We learned that very quickly when one of my friends drafted a Poseidon card on the first round and made us all, like, discard a card we had just drafted. So this is competitive. Absolutely competitive. The other thing you're drafting is a quest card, and the quest card determines your turn order for the following epic, and also it gives you a number of gold VPs and transfers, which is very important. Um, transfers are how you get your main source of VPs in the game. Um, so when you draft cards, they go into your tableau, and the only way they score VPs at the end is if you transfer them from your tableau into your Elysium. Mm. If you write them in your legend during the writing the legends phase. And so when you do that, they move and can score you points, but they lose whatever powers they had. So you might have one that gives you a coin every time that you but that you draft a Hephaestus card. Once you send that card into your legend, it loses that power. You no longer gain a coin every time you draft a card. But it'll score you points. It'll score you points at the end. It's really a set collection game at its heart. You're trying to set collect sets of either the 1, 2, and 3 of a particular god's card, or a level 1 of each of the 5 cards from each of the 5 families, a level 2 from each of the families, and so on. Um, it's will, you, will you go through the entire deck... No, we mm. went through, so we played a four player game. You put in each epic, you put out a total of three cards per player plus one. So a total of 13 cards for four players over five epics is 65 cards. And each of the decks has 21. Um, so there's 105 cards. So there are 40 cards we never saw. If you're playing with Apollo, he, like, has some kind of vision or something. Like, there's an oracle, and you can see cards that might be available later, and that can change the numbers of cards available. So I'm not sure exactly how that plays. I haven't played with that set. Um, but yeah, if you're playing the basic game, you might only see, like, 12 Poseidon cards the whole time or something. Did it feel good to finally get it off the shelf? Oh my gosh, it felt very satisfying. Um, I enjoyed the game. It's not going to be like a new favorite, but I would like to play it again. I left thinking like, I wonder what I could have done better or differently. Um, because the scores weren't super far apart, but it was enough apart that I felt like, oh, I would, I would like to go back to it and try it again. Very nice. And the next section is Game of the Fortnite. The part of the podcast where we hold one game above all others, at least for the next two weeks. And the Game of the Fortnite this episode is Euphoria, Build a Better Dystopia 
designed by Jamie Stegmeier and Alan Stone, with the artist Jackie Davis, published by Stonemeyer Games. Now, Jesse, you back this, so how about you describe the game? Well, this was the first game I ever backed on Kickstarter back in 2013, and that became a very rapid addiction. Euphoria is a worker placement game at its core. It's set in a dystopian future in which there are four factions vying for power over the commodities and resources of the land. Uh, There are the the Euphorians who generate electricity and mine for gold. There are the Subterrans who collect water in their aquifer and dig for stone. There are the Wastelanders who grow food on their farm and dig for clay bricks in their mine. And the Icarites who just gather green bliss clouds. They're doing drugs in the sky. It's not (laughs) drugs. They're mining bliss. Sure, sure, sure. We'll call it drugs. Drugs. (laughs) So the nice thing about this game, especially whenever it came out, is that your dice are workers. And now that is not a new concept, and I don't believe it was a new concept back then, but I do like the way that Jamie Stegmeier and Alan Stone tailored this game for that as a concept. So your dice are workers, and your workers, their intelligence is represented by the number of pips. And so the more intelligent they are, the more powerful the actions they can do, but the more likely they are to rebel. <laughs> so, this is a dystopian future. This is you a want dystopian. your workers to be dumb and happy. Yep. And so... At the beginning of the game, you roll your dice and you place them on the board as a worker to take various kinds of actions. Some spaces fit only one worker. Some spaces fit multiple workers. The spaces that fit multiple workers, you know, you add up the sum of all the pips at that spot of all dice that are there. And that impacts how powerful the action is. The spaces that only take one worker, the vast majority of them are these spaces that allow you to bump them. So unlike in most worker placements, you place your worker there and like instead of being, ah, oh, shoot, I wanted to go there, you just bump them out of the way and it causes the person to retrieve their, uh, their die back. And now there are some benefits and drawbacks to that because you know the two main actions you take are placing a worker and taking an action or retrieving your dice. And so if you just give someone a die back for free, then they don't have to spend an action to get that die back later. Sometimes someone giving you a die, you a die for free give, gives you the game right at the end. I mean, that's he didn't know. He was playing to get the most stars. <laughs> he played well. He played well. He did play well. Um, so in this game, there are no victory points. There are only 10 stars. Um, the game ends immediately when someone places their 10th star. Correct. And so the best way to describe it is you place, you place stars in areas that you contribute. So if you help build a market, you are helping, you know, further the commerce of society. If you don't contribute to building the market, you get a nasty penalty. Yep. For example, if you roll a five, you might have to turn in a commodity or a resource. Correct. And so you can help build a market. That's another way to place a star. If you help push your faction, because you're going to be one of the four factions, uh, up high enough, then you get to place a star on your faction card, which gives you a special ability. 
if you just engage and trade in each of the societies? How would you describe? There are there are artifact markets. Yeah, where artifact you can turn in artifacts to place a star. Yeah, so there's a handful of ways to place stars. Each player also has an ethical dilemma which they have to face. For instance, you might decide that you want to turn in your friend rather than. What was it? I don't remember what it was. You so, could so, play a board game or you could burn a board game. Yeah, imagine like a Fahrenheit 450, 451. Yeah, I'm teaching that book right now. Yeah, so imagine a Fahrenheit 451 scenario where you can place a star on your card. And so Say your card says that you want to collect an artifact and that artifact is the book. And then your card that says that you can either burn that book to place a star on that ethical dilemma or you can... Uh, Use read that the book. Read to the gain book. A new recruit. You can uh, read the book to gain a new recruit and gain another faction power. Early in the game, that might be more powerful, but towards the end of the game, you tend to want to just place your stars quickly. I first played this in 2017 at Mega Moose Con with you and a handful of other people, and though I didn't win, I enjoyed how how tight this game feels. Uh, there have been some rules updates to this game, which I definitely believe helps make it better balanced. Yes. Uh, but even though it's a worker placement, you, the entire time you're thinking about how can I maximize the impact of every single action that I take such that in the end, I take the least number of turns because that's, that's what it's all about. It's just efficiency. Take, it's all about efficiency. So it's really an economic game when you think about it. Yep. <laughs> so I first played this game back in late 2013 or early 2014 when it first arrived, and I was blown away by the components. Um, you know that Stonemaier games always have amazing components. Um, and the deluxe edition for this back in 2013 kickstarted for $49. The deluxe edition. The deluxe edition with with all the nice with all the nice resources and whatnot. Yeah, it said that um, manufacturers suggested retail price was going to be seventy dollars. Oh, jeez! So it was pretty exciting to get in on that early. Um, this was one of the better kickstarters that I was part of. I was going to say the kickstarting scene was very, 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 very different nine years ago. It was. It was. Yeah, it was new and exciting to me back yeah. then. Yeah. The risks were different. <laughs> so what do you like about this game? I like the choice of at the start of the game, you get two, re you get four recruits. You choose two to keep and you put one into play immediately and you keep one face down. And that one won't get revealed until certain conditions have been met where their faction has advanced their mind to a certain depth or they have advanced their bonus track to a certain extent. Um, I really enjoy that element of deciding, like, who's the most useful to me at the start and who would be a fun surprise later. The last time we, pl we played, I felt unfortunate in that I got one Euphorian Recruit and three Icarites, and I wanted to keep the Euphorian Recruit. And the Icarite track can be hard to advance. So, And then we found out that we were both secretly Icarites it's as true. well, <laughs> and so we just both pushed pushed the track up. It's true, it's true. Um, uh... I think it has a good core concept. I would say it it is a game that is now nine years old. It's not a bad game, but it's not as exciting as it was nine years ago. What keeps it on your shelf? Besides the fact that you invested in the deluxe edition, 
Um, I think it's still a good game with tight decisions. It's like you said, like every action you take really counts and being strategic in when to retrieve your workers and retrieving all your workers and choosing to gain extra workers. Those can be things that can really set you ahead or can set you back. So Michael, what what are your thoughts about the game? It's not the hotness and it hasn't been the hotness for a long time, but there's something about the way that it is just... It's really, really fun setting up efficient turns, thinking about future turns, saying if I do this and then this and then this and then this, and then getting um, curveballs based on the dice that you roll whenever you retrieve your workers and having to adjust and then figuring out what the new and most efficiency and placing stars and the various things as has nice little actions and reactions as you play this game. And, and overall, all those little mechanisms... I think are very, very tightly wound and run very well and just makes it have good game feel to the point where, yeah, it's not the best game. Uh, it's a good game. It's not like the best, best game, but I still want to pull it off the shelf at least once a year. I like the theme. I think it's a fun game. Yeah. It's one of those things where the theme really makes sense, where... I we were the last time we were playing we were sitting at the table and someone was trying to understand the concept of the mine. I was just like they are tunneling so this faction is tunneling trying to tap into this faction's realm so they can start stealing their resources because all these factions have been pit, uh, pitted against each other. The Euphorians are digging to steal water from the subterrans. It's, uh, That's what it is. Is it? Yes. Perfect. I never use that space. Yeah, yeah. Because by the time you get there, it's no longer as important. Yeah, so it's just it's just where I can explain something with theme, and then yeah. the mechanics make sense. Yes. And so it's just like, oh, why do you lose? Uh, why do you lose a worker whenever your dice roll is too high? Whenever you retrieve workers, because your workers are too smart, and whenever they're too smart, then they rebel. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, that <laughs> makes sense. The theme makes sense with the mechanics. And so that that part, I think, is really nice. So I agree with you. I do like the theme a lot. So, Michael, ultimately, in the end, would you award the board game famous star, the gold star of epic joy, to Euphoria? I got to go with yes, even though uh, we don't play it super often. I enjoy it every single time we play. It's one of... I, I own a copy of this game. I don't own a deluxe copy, but I own a copy and uh, that is definitely not one that I'm going to get rid of anytime what, soon. What's difference between different between the deluxe and the standard? Uh, the components are just not as nice. You don't have the fancy gold bricks. I don't have the fancy gold bricks. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't have the fancy brick bricks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the fancy stone. <laughs> what about you, Jesse? Do you give Euphoria the board game famous gold star? You know... If you'd asked me a few years ago, I think I would have, for sure. I don't know that I would put it at the top of the list anymore. I feel like I'm really stingy with these gold stars, but I I don't think I can award the star to Euphoria. I think it's a good game. I think it's a very good game. I don't think it's like a top tier game. So I would withhold the star from this one, just because I think there are other games that do what it does better. For example, I mean, I'm not upset by your conclusion, (laughs) and, and nor should anyone, (laughs) well i mean there are lots and lots of like dystopian future type games like i'd rather play outlive than euphoria for instance which is kind of a futuristic 
dystopian, like the world is in kind of post-apocalyptic times and you're trying to survive. And I think there's more interesting decisions in that than there are in Euphoria. I've never played that game, so we'll have to play it sometime. I feel like I bring it a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe it's because I already know how to play Euphoria. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it Euphoria is a good game. Don't get me wrong. I just if I'm giving the gold star only to games that are like the best, I have to withhold it. That feels bad. You don't have to feel bad. I love Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Jamie, who may or may not be listening to this podcast. <laughs> And now it is time for Brother Talk slash Friend Talk. And today's topic is Digital Editions. So, Michael, you suggested the topic of Digital Editions. What were you thinking about when you said, let's talk about Digital Editions of tabletop and board games today? A couple of my friends that I know from soccer are trying to get me to play Wingspan, the Digital Edition. (laughs) That's so cute. (laughs) I know Wingspan is not one of your favorite games. (laughs) Uh, No, but the uh, soccer season just ended. Uh, This is MLS, not Europe. I don't follow Europe teams. No judgment if you follow follow European teams. Uh, Just that the... Uh, U.S. League season finishes in... Well, if you don't make it to the playoffs, it finishes about this time. (laughs) Uh, So they're trying to get you to play the digital edition of Wingspan. What did you say? I said we'll see, because now that I don't have soccer season, I've planned a lot of trips. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Uh, But I think I, I am willing to give it a go whenever I can do it at my leisure So I think talking about digital editions, we want to talk a little bit about why do they make digital editions of board games? What do those board games digitally have to offer for us? And why do we love them? And maybe what are some of our favorites? So to play board games, historically, you had to get a group of people together at a particular time in a particular room for a certain amount of time. You have to know all the rules and be able to play the game. Oh, you also, yeah, you also have to own the game. Board gaming as a hobby has a very high threshold for what it requires. And people who don't live in urban areas, maybe they struggle to play board games as regularly or as, or as many diverse board games as, you know, we get to because we live in a bigger city or near a bigger city. And so that barrier, or they want to play with people that they're not even close to because I've played... Uh, digital board games with my brothers so (laughs) which is really nice i mean a lot of us got more into digital editions of board games during covid times when we were forced to be separated from the people we care about and the people we consider our friends um but i think there are a lot of other valuable things about digital editions in addition to that um one of the things is the shelf space and the low cost Uh, A lot of times digital editions have a very low entry fee compared to an actual physical copy of a board game. And obviously they take up memory on a computer or phone, uh, but they do not take up space on your shelves that may already be overcrowded. I also really like playing games digitally when I'm on my own. Uh, I play a lot of solo games against AI, or I used to play a lot of solo games against AI, especially when I was first getting into the hobby. I remember when I first started going to meetup groups about 10 years ago, and I was playing games like Life and Monopoly and Uno on my iPhone. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think focusing on mobile, 
there is certain games that have very good replayability and mobile devices really let you tap into that desire to play those kinds of games. And I say it like that because I'm thinking of one particular genre and that is deck building. Deck building games are amazing. Deck building games because, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to know which (laughs) which app you're going to talk about for which game, but I'm thinking about Dominion (laughs) because (laughs) shout out to David who's still not here. Uh, shout out to Editing David, who will be editing this episode. Hi, David! This is Future David saying hi back. That uh, Dominion uh, is a game that we've played a lot, and you own all the expansions, thank you very much, but it's a lot easier if I don't own the expansions, and I can just play at my leisure on my phone. I don't really play Dominion that much anymore, but it was really nice that I could, you know try out different combos and all that kind of stuff and hone my skills and I'm not good at the game. <laughs> is there a good digital edition? I've never found a good one. A good dim- Is there one through the iPhone App Store? Through the iOS store? I mean it was fine. It has it has uh in app purchases. It's I mean that's fine. I just never I don't remember ever seeing one for Dominion. So which deck builder were you thinking about? Oh, Michael, my favorite deck builder to play on my iPhone is Ascension. I have all (laughs) the expansions for it. It is a center row type deck builder where it has cards that are shuffled together rather than random piles of various cards that are always available to purchase. I have played 6,495 completed games with, like, real people on the other end. <laughs> I don't know how many games I've played with the AI, but it's probably a lot. Yes, yeah, so... <laughs> it's a game that I can play in about 8 to 10 minutes, where if I was playing it in real life, it would probably take, like, 45 minutes. And that's one of the nice things about digital slash uh, mobile versions of board games, is it takes out the uh, setup time. I know a lot of people... A lot of people in our circle have talked about the digital editions of Gloomhaven. I was going to get to that. I wanted to talk about another deck builder. Have you ever heard of Tanto Core? Yes, I've never played it, but I have heard of it. It has pretty anime maids, <laughs> and it is a great digital edition. <laughs> I lied. You have played it. I have not played it, but I have heard of it. It's delightful. <laughs> Hold on a second. Let me go grab Becca. What's up? We have a special surprise guest! Hello! Hi, Becca! Hi! <laughs> so, I hear you also enjoy Tanto Curie. Oh, I love it. The, like, just the cuteness of the maids on its own is enough to sell it for me. But I like the... What's the word? Words are hard, aren't Words they? Words are hard! <laughs> no, I like the, the trick-taking of it, and um, I love that you can give the... Or the maids can have bad habits... <laughs> and then you can play with the bad habits or without, and it just makes it easier or harder for the game to go. I haven't played it in a long time, but I remember one of the things was always figuring out when to put maids into your chamber. Yep. So timing is everything. You um, you want to make sure that you've got good maids before you just start putting them in your chamber willy-nilly. Yeah, and there's a lot of manipulating your deck to find like different sets of maids that will give you lots of points, but also will help you get more maids. Yes, because um, like two of the maids in the base set are sisters, and they want to be together <laughs> to help out, and so you don't want to play one maid 
that's the sister before you get her sister with you in there. So. And the reason that the app is so good is that it keeps track of all the complicated things that can happen on your turn. Oh, it's okay. a lot like Dominion in that you basically get one action and one card by per turn, but different maids will give you extra actions or extra money or extra card buys. And so figuring out how to keep track of those can be really difficult in a deck building game. So that's what I love about apps like this is they let you know like, okay, you're up to three more card buys right now. Oh, that's awesome. When I when I played it or when I owned it, I the digital version didn't exist. So it was oh. a lot of yeah, it was so a lot. So you're of, talking about the physical edition. Yeah, of the game. oh yeah. Ooh, fancy. It's yeah. kind of expensive, isn't it? Isn't it it's, kind of hard to find? Um, not as much as it used to be, um, but it was a $50, it's a $50 game. Um, and then I first heard about it when the, um, Oktoberfest expansion <laughs> was being kickstarted. So I ended up getting all four in a big bundle. Nice. It was really nice. It's um, a good game. Yeah. I really enjoy it. Each time, each time that I see it for sale somewhere, I'm like, Maybe I need to add that back to my collection. <laughs> Why did you get rid of it? Uh, I ended up just not having the space or mm. really, honestly, the people to play it with. Sure. So. Well, I would play it with you anytime. Good to know. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Yeah, Beck. of course. It was fun, to ha- fun to have you on the show. Yeah, <laughs> surprising. Yeah, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> Wow, isn't it nice to have a guest star on? <laughs> <laughs> Especially when it's a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just. I had to. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, but back to Gloomhaven. Back to Gloomhaven. I don't think I'll pick up Gloomhaven because I'm going to play Gloomhaven once. It's taken me four years to get as far as I have. I have not beaten it. Maybe we'll beat it uh, this year, uh, 2022, <laughs> with, with my board gaming group. We will see. We are very close. But one thing I do appreciate appreciate about the idea of Gloomhaven digital version is there is a lot of setup and upkeep for Gloomhaven that just gets automated in the digital version so you can focus on the best parts of Gloomhaven. Now I play board games to be around the table with people but I can understand especially for a game like Gloomhaven why a digital version would be nice. The digital version is fantastic. I downloaded it when David put in our Discord that it was free on Epic Games. Yep. And I have been playing it since then when I have a free minute. I'm not going to lie, it's a little bit addictive. I downloaded it mostly because it was free, and I was like, I'll try it and see what it's like. My friend Dave had been playing it back when we started our campaign. Yep. Um, And what I'm really enjoying about it is playing all the different classes that I did not get to play as during our campaign. And everything, and you have time to, because it's so fast. Absolutely. It is, uh, it is faster. I'm usually running three characters at a time through each dungeon. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm currently playing primarily as three spears, saw, and, and scoundrel from the base set. It's been four years and we're still not (laughs) spoiling it. (laughs) I mean, it's rude to spoil, but yeah. Yeah. Um, So I did get to play three spears when I was playing in real, um, but I did not get to play the saw and I got to see my friend play as the saw. 
but it's neat to try it for myself. I got to unlock Triforce, which we never got to in our group. I'm about to unlock Lightning Bolt, which we never got to in our group. Or actually, I did unlock, but have not played as them Mm -hmm. yet. So it's been fun to see some of the content that I missed. Um, I'm trying to sometimes make different choices about what decision points I make. Although I'm still running a positive reputation group because I just can't bring myself to be like a cruel, hateful, tyrannical despot. So the game uh, lots of times gives you options and basically you can be a nice person or a bad person. Yeah. Oh, I just thought of another thing that is really nice about digital slash mobile versions. Oh, what's that? It really allows you to find a community that you can be competitive in for a game that you can care about. Oh, for sure. Board game communities can be very small. And so if you're really good at a board game and you keep kicking butt against all the people that you play against, and then it's like, well, this is not as fun. These digital versions can help connect you to people who are of similar skill level or better, such that you feel more challenged and you find that engaging. So I don't know that I've ever needed them for that. (laughs) (laughs) I've used them more for learning games. Like when I was first getting into games, I started with games like Catan and Stone Age um, and then Lords of Waterdeep, Dominant Species. Um, Like I played app versions of all of those and it helped me to feel like I understood the games more. I was able to practice strategies and keep pace with other people a little bit better. But I now I think I really like exploring in games like Gloomhaven or Charterstone, I think, has a really nice digital version. Uh, did you ever play Charterstone? We did not play Charterstone It's together. a delightful little legacy game that some people love and some people hate, and I really, really enjoyed it. And when I got the digital, ed- digital edition, I played through it like three times straight, and then I never played it again. Because I had done everything. That is nice, though. It allows, gives you that opportunity to explore everything that you might not, not otherwise be able to convince a group of people to to go through that experience with as well. Absolutely. What are the downsides to mobile slash digital gaming? Well, obviously, it's not the same as playing in person. Um, when you're playing with others, it's like you said, part of part of it is being around the table. Um, and part of it is having those nice components, the cardboard and the wood and whatever in your hands. Another issue with some games is that sometimes the AI is bad if you're playing solo, or sometimes the community is bad slash unfriendly if you're playing with a an online community. I would also say another thing is board games, especially now, are very well designed most of the time. And sometimes their digital slash mobile counterparts are not... The care is not put into them. Can you give me an example of those? Blood Rage. Uh, I haven't played the digital edition. Blood Rage. Uh, I also do not like the digital edition of Seven Wonders on Board Game Arena because it. I find it personally very, very hard to keep track of what everyone's doing. Yeah. And Agreed. so it's like for the, those kinds of games where you need to keep... You have to, like, there's a lot of information that you're trying to keep track of around the table, whereas Mm -hmm. you just be able to easily glance at certain things at the table, like in the game that we just talked about for the game of the Fortnite, for um, Euphoria, Euphoria, knowing what resources and commodities people have, because that's important for when they're going to take certain kinds of actions, so it gives you an idea of, oh, they're going to take this kind of action soon. If that information is not clearly communicated or displayed it it makes it less <laughs> less enjoyable i i think that might be why i don't enjoy the scythe or root digital apps as much 
Um, those are games that have a lot going on and have a big map. And on a tiny phone, it's just too much information to really process well for me. Um, so, so games in solidarity <laughs> around other yeah. people. Yeah. Do you have any um, video games that function as board games that you love? Video games that function? Like, okay, have you ever played Fortune Street? No. It's have... basically Monopoly with Mario and Dragon <laughs> Warrior and Stock Market. No, and it's I've, great. No, They're like Mario that. Party. Um, Mario Party has like dexterity games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got little filler games, but essentially it's like roll a dice, move around a board, and try to get the most stars. Yep. Um, or Concept Saga is this really like niche 2006 Xbox 360 game that I freaking love. <laughs> it is essentially Monopoly with like fantasy monsters guarding your territories. So like if you land on someone's territory, you have to fight their monster. And if you win, you can take their territory. Ooh. But it's like Monopoly, like you can level them up essentially. And it's it was a neat little game. Yeah, I don't think I've played any any of those like games except for uh i guess Yu-Gi-Oh base games that uh, were were yeah. mod modified <laughs> uh, yeah so well, i think for digital editions for lcgs for living yep. card games i think digital editions are so great because part of the reason that Yu-Gi-Oh is hard to get into is that the cards are so expensive to get a good deck built can cost you hundreds of dollars Yep, I remember back in the day playing illegal digital versions <laughs> that didn't that had every single card on there, had all the rules already pre-built in, and the different formats and all that kind of stuff. So you didn't actually have to spend the money, and it, that was a uh, lot. That was a lot of fun. I remember there was a really nice digital edition on Wii for mm -hmm. for Yu Gi Oh. It was really good. Th this was a uh, a browser thing. I can't remember what it was. <laughs> uh, you better watch out. The browser police are coming to get you. Yeah, yeah. Back whenever I was a Yu Gi Oh nerd, <laughs> <laughs> aren't we all a little bit of Yu Gi Oh nerd? Yeah. <laughs> Reach into the heart of the cards. <laughs> Triggered my I, card. I, I still say heart of the cards whenever I'm looking for specific <laughs> cards in deck builders. <laughs> not gonna lie. It works. <laughs> it does not always work. <laughs> well, anything else you want to add about digital editions? There are lots, lots of ways to access these, either through sites like uh, Board Game Arena or platforms like steam with tabletop simulator or official versions or even just the apps that you have on the mobile read the reviews see what's good if you find a good game check to see if it play more games play 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 have fun 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 <laughs> if you have a favorite digital edition of a board game tell us about it in the discord or the instagrams <laughs> And without musical accompaniment, our next section is Mail Time. And the question of this fortnight is, with Halloween coming up, what are some good spooky board games to play? That's a good question, Michael. I will have to name one of the first games that I ever played in the tabletop hobby, which is City of Horror. It is a zombie survival game. I think I've talked about it on here before, so that's all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> I am actually, actually cannot remember it. 
Uh, it's, so, it's in my search history, <laughs> so I've obviously looked it up before. So City of Horror is a game in which you and others are trying to survive in a city that has been overrun with zombies. Over the course of the game, you're trying to move around the map to avoid zombies. You're trying to kill zombies. You're trying to get antidotes so that you can get on the helicopter when 4 a.m. arrives. Mm, yes. And if you don't have enough antidotes for your survivors, they die. And then you lose. Yes, so that is accurate. <laughs> I actually had time to think about this. I'm sorry, Jesse. Uh, but <laughs> Rude. <laughs> uh, the games I was thinking, not necessarily spooky, but go with, you know, the Halloween theme. Because when you think about Halloween, you think about witches and what kind of games involve witches. Well, the first one that comes to my mind is not spooky at all. It's actually kind of cute, which is Broom Service. Where you are playing as witches flying around the kingdom making deliveries. <laughs> Spooky? No. Cute? Yes. Fun? Absolutely. <laughs> I am a fan of witches. Uh, and something that's a little bit more on point and more classical horror related is Fury of Dracula. The classic one versus all hide and seek game versus Dracula. Uh, and then obviously that just takes me to another running around the world kind of game. Uh, which is, you know, Eldritch or Arkham Horror. So, you know, in the similar vein, both from Fantasy Flights, definitely has that spookiness. <laughs> so I did enjoy Arkham Horror. So I I didn't realize we were going all three in a row. I would have gone all three in a row. Do, um, do yours. <laughs> I'm going to say mine now. <laughs> um, so the other two I was going to say are Horrified, which is a cooperative game in which you're trying to survive against some movie monsters. And Mysterium, which is a cooperative game in which you're trying to figure out, kind of like Clue, who murdered your friend. But there's a how. spooky ghost! Yes, someone is a spooky ghost who gives you clues. And visions! It's kind of like Dixit, but with a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> and you're all on the same team! <laughs> it's a nice game. It is a nice game. I feel game. like it gets underrepresented. That is one that I'm more comfortable playing with people who don't traditionally play board games yep. and i depending on what kind of halloween parties you guys go to that might be one that fits better if you're playing board games with uh people who are used to playing board games regularly then my suggestions are good uh arkham and eldritch horror are gonna take a while so <laughs> dino dedicate some time for that <laughs> <laughs> happy halloween everybody Happy Halloween. Are you going to dress up, Michael? I am actually dressing up as a lot of things. Oh! Maybe I'll post pictures around that time. No, <laughs> no, no spoilers. <laughs> are you going to dress as a meeple? I am not dressing as a meeple. That would be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> the The theme of the Halloween party I'm going to is famous people dead or alive. Oh, so Very exciting. Plus, yeah, plus there's be, a couple other things I'm going to. Will you be a board game famous dead or alive? <laughs> Oh, uh, you must be the Monopoly guy. <laughs> <laughs> this is the end of the podcast. Thank you for making it this far, guys. And what another good episode it was. Well, we'll see you again in another two weeks. But in the meantime, if you want to follow us, we have an Instagram. Link in the description. If you want to talk to us, you know, and talk to some other cool, like-minded people, we got a Discord, link in the description. Got any questions, burning desires, arguments, anything else? We got a Gmail. It's boardgamefamous at gmail.com. Well, until next time, 
Maybe David will be back. Maybe he won't. Who knows? <laughs> it's always a surprise who's going to show up on Board Game Famous. <laughs> but bye now. <laughs> bye, y'all. <laughs>musical transition musical transition but that's gonna be the easter egg (laughs) that's up for david Uh, to decide yep yep hey david shout out to david shout out Um, to our editor david (laughs) (laughs)